accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Shakar, the 24th episode of the third season, aired on May 22nd, 1995, written by Gordon Dawson, directed by Jonathan West. In this episode, Kira's old resistance leader refuses a government order to return some farming equipment, which might be the worst memory alpha description of an episode I've ever seen, even though it is truthful. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? I'm good. I was uh, going to make some sort of Tupac Shakur joke, but I don't want to pretend I know enough about him to really thread that needle. So uh, I will say I'm very happy to see that in the future they still have regular darts and it's not like 3D darts or like uh, Romulan darts. Hologram darts or something. Yeah, yeah. something else made up. Uh, You know, not to get too far into it, but I think it's important that they just had darts because I could see them doing that whole th- uh, subplot. I, I didn't care about the other stuff. I just want to talk about darts. Sure. Um, <laughs> doing that whole subplot with some made-up uh, game, like Dom that Jot. other episode. Yeah, Dom Jot from Tapestry. Yeah, the, yeah like the pool Yeah, and just game. like, just you have a giving absolutely zero shits about what's going on. <laughs> well, I, I still think that they're, they're not playing darts correctly because they're constantly shooting for the bullseye anyway. So... Well, that but that's the only way, like, most people know how darts work. Is it is, like, yeah, yeah, you throw for the middle. <laughs> Why is the bullseye smaller than the 60-point space? It doesn't, I don't really understand what the, the sort of game design behind darts is. then it's point. harder to hit. But why, why, don't you want the 60-point spot to be? I don't hard? know. I don't know how darts work. I just know <laughs> that you're supposed to, it's impressive when you hit the tiny, tiny spot in the middle. Do you, do you want to know how I was going to respond to whatever Tupac Shakur joke you made? Yes. I would have said... Uh, yes, Clay, you're absolutely right. I bet you, uh, you don't know this, but there's a deleted scene where Shakar walks over to Bryle's candle and says to him, That's why I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. Westside! <laughs> <laughs> See, now, that's not a joke that I could make, unless I had done, like, extensive research. <laughs> and then I would I would have smash cut into hit him up, and we would have just listened to hit him up for the next five minutes and then come back in. So, anyway... Uh, let's take a break. We're going to play an audio clip. I'll come back. Clay will come back. We're going to break down Shakar. So, Major Kira Nariz, Deep Space Nine's first officer. You made quite a name for yourself. Not really. You've accomplished a great deal. You should be proud. Pharrell and Lupazer are so proud of you, they actually stand a little taller every time your name comes up. Pharrell and Lupazer? You still see them? Of course. Both have farms less than 10 kilometers from here. Those two are farmers? What? Now you, yes, that's all you ever talked about, but Lupaza, how did that happen? You can ask her yourself. They'll be here in a couple of hours. I can hardly wait to see the look on their faces when they walk through that door and see you standing there. All right, Shikar. Clay, you missed an episode. You missed Burrell's death episode, which is kind of relevant to this one, but he's dead. Uh, this one only. I've watched, I've watched it multiple times on my own. <laughs> this one has to do with the head. outcome. I'd say, um, I'd say this is one of those Star Trek episodes that has a lot going on and none of it really sticks. Like mm. no, none of it really lands to the point where you're like, this is what this episode about or like, this is definitely what they're uh, doing a good job in here. Like it, it's a, 
I don't know. Do you, do you want to go off of that before? I, there's one point I want to focus on, and I think everything kind of springs off of that. But what would you think in a general sense? Um, this is 100% an episode that I would have hated when I was younger um, because it deals with the not Starfleet for the most part. Um, and it has a scene which is court, uh, is sort of um, sums up my traditional thought of Deep Space Nine before I really started watching it, which is the scene where, uh, what's, what's the woman's name, Kai? Kai Wynn. Kai Wynn is talking to uh, Cisco, and they play really like dramatic music over him saying, I regret to inform you that we will not be able to support you in this uh, land dispute. And she's like, well, then maybe we should think about not joining the Federation. And he's like, that would be a bad idea because the Federation <laughs> is very helpful. It, like, it was like the total, the sum up of everything that I thought I hated about this show. It's just like sure. di <laughs> diplomacy with like an edge to it, like a musical edge to it. Um, but in, in the context of the episode, I thought that stuff was fine. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was all right. It was uh I I find as much as I like Kira, I like Kira more in the context of of the of Deep Sp the, the Deep Space 9 place than I do on Bajor yeah. because I just don't really care about Bajor to be honest with you. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's I, I was I found the politics that they were kicking around pretty interesting. Um but yeah, I don't know. Uh, aside from it, was it was fine, I guess. Star-studded cast of full of uh, hey, it's that person. Yes. D did you recognize uh, Shakar? Do you know who Shakar is? Shakar is uh, Dracula from Monster Squad. Yes, he's that. He's the um, he is the candle ghost from Sub Rosa. Yes. Yes. As well as that, I I was making sure. You know, it's funny. I looked him up just to make sure that it was him, and it was. And he only had one episode of. TNG listed at least where I was looking and it was not that one. Oh really? It was, it was Ronan or was that the character's name? No that's the character's name that's the ghost. Okay yeah. then it, yeah. I didn't see that because I was looking for that title and it, it wasn't there and I just assumed Ronan was the title. Oh yeah um, he's, he's Ronan the ghost. <laughs> well that makes more sense. Also uh, uh, Lupaza the uh, Bajoran woman yep. um, is Simone from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, this is star-studded. And then, obviously, uh, Will Rawls is the Bajoran general at the very end uh, and, from The Wire. And uh, Sivar, and I, you might say, why do you know all these obscure character <laughs> names, Clay, when you can't even remember, uh, what was her name, Kai Wynn? Yep, Kai Wynn. I looked him up and I wrote him down. Uh, He's the Sivar, who is the, I'm going to say probably Vulcan, who is playing oh. darts with uh, O'Brien. Sure is Bub the Zombie from Day of the Dead. Wow. They really pulled out all the stops. They brought in a, a huge star-studded cast here. Uh, and you might say, that sounds like you did a lot of research looking up people's names. Did you happen to do this while you were watching the episode, and did that affect your the amount of attention that you were paying <laughs> to the episode? And I would say no. I was doing it during the episode because the episode itself was affecting the level of attention I was paying to the episode. Yes, yes. Um, I think... I think the place to start it is, I think everything that goes wrong with the episode kind of can be seen as like a spindle off of the character of Wynn. Um, I, like to, to show you how 
like I've seen all the episodes. I was shocked to learn that she was not the supreme leader of the Bajorans. I, I thought that the Kai was like basically their president, who was like the head of state for them because they're so religious. But apparently, she's applying for a second position in their government. <laughs> like I don't, I don't understand how that's working, and it just it goes to show you how ill forms you so what's your what's your opinion of kai win i guess as a character you've seen her before you've seen her in other episodes you might not have seen her in everything but w- how does she strike you as a character um fairly condescending uh more than anything else um and you know i, I was gonna say my actual favorite thing about this episode and this is not like a uh story thing really it's more of like a uh uh, technical thing is that when they started talking about a decent amount of stuff that happened, uh, you know, uh, Kai Win, Burial dying, all this kind of stuff. The peace treaty. I, the peace treaty. I was like, oh, thank God, because I could not, like, I, I, well, you know, I, I don't watch every single episode, so I don't know what I have missed. I couldn't have, I, if you said Kai Win to me and I hadn't seen this episode, I could not tell you who that character was. Right. Um, but they did a good job of just kind of like catch getting you up to speed on everything, which is they don't always do. So I really appreciated they they did a good job of uh, in a very non forced expository way getting you up to speed about where everything was. Um, her as a character, I, I I do remember her always coming coming off as condescending and and fairly power hungry. Actually, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yep. Um, do you? Here, my my problem with Win is that she seems incompetent at what she's doing. Like, mm. I, I I think the character has to be written as, and you're right that she's power hungry and that pretty much everything, she's shown that, or it's been hinted that, like, her religious nature is kind of a front and that it's all about the power uh, situation mm-hmm. that she's after. And she doesn't really care about the religion of the Bajorans or being, like, a good Kai or anything. But her... She's constant in this episode and the episode before this, the one where Burial dies, she loses control of the situation. She causes something to happen and it's not the outcome that she wants. And then she in this episode, she has to beg Cisco to help her. It's mm-hmm. like, why why is this character written so incompetently? Why wouldn't she be more of a Machiavellian string puller who is like very capable of controlling the situation and that would give you a strong enemy to go against? She's she's like the opposite of Ducat. She's just not competent in anything that she's doing and when you compare it to Ducat it just comes across as a waste of time that she's the villain because she basically sets the house on fire by accident and then we have to fix the problem and it's like why wouldn't like why the scene with Cisco why is she Cisco even says you've overreacted to this entire situation but she doesn't have a good reason to do it she's like well I needed to I can't have people going against me uh, like in defying the government, I need to show them who's boss. I guess we're supposed to assume that she's an authoritarian like the changelings, but it's not everything she does in this episode doesn't make any lick of sense. And it feels like there are so many outs to fixing this that, it, that it's unbelievable to me that it came down to a civil war, basically like a pre civil war situation. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's interesting that, um, she's perceived as not uh as as the religious part being more of a front because that was actually the one element that i i really liked was that when she when they do have that uh, conversation with her and cisco 
she makes that comment about, you know, the prophets have given me a test and um i have to i have to endure this this hardship in order to prove you know that that whatever yeah to prove that she's walking the correct path basically right, by right. stopping and the car i actually liked that because i i liked the concept of this religious leader being put into a political position and then making decisions based on her her own religious beliefs and the folly that that will lead you into um, maybe they they probably could have leaned into that a little more if they wanted to. I don't know if that was I mean, the point, but they've they've never they've never explicitly said that she's a fraud religiously. But there was mm-hmm. in in a previous episode, the one example that I thought was like pretty subtle writing is that she constantly refers to in that episode she constantly refers to Cisco as the emissary, right? Like she mm-hmm. calls him the emissary over and over and over until at the end of that episode she gets what she wants, which is or it might have been a different episode. She gets what she wants and she becomes the Kai. As soon as she becomes the Kai, she says, please tell Commander Sisko. She, she stops referring to him as the emissary at that oh, point. Oh, interesting, yeah. And that was like, oh, that's clever. Like, that's a nice little touch. And here, like you're saying, I think the writing is so uneven and so contradictory because she does seem to be walking a true path here. But I don't think that's what the character is supposed to be about because I, that... If you went in that direction and it was about religious, um, a religious test and she was a true believer, that's more interesting than what they end up with. She's in the middle, and I don't know what to think about her if she's in the middle. Yeah, she ends up just, uh, you know, they they set her up as, as this uh, rel- religious leader um, trying to stick to her guns, whether or not that's the right way to do it. Um, but she ends up just coming off as just really stubborn. Yes, uh, right. And I mean, you could you could... You could say that she, you know, they're treating her kind of like a, uh, you know, the pastor of like a megachurch or something like that, where it's, she's talking in a very theological way, but is really acting for her own personal reasons. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I I don't think she's as clearly defined as a lot of the other um, peripheral adversaries they have on the show. Yeah, yeah, and I'd even, I'd even hesitate to really to call her an adversary because well, you never, yeah, but you know, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, if you're looking at people who kind of dip in from time to time, like Ducat or um, Jesus Christ, my mind's blanking. You the know, cha- the, the other changelings ones. and stuff like yeah. that, yeah, um, uh, or even Garrick, you know, like they, they, who is an adversary, but not really an adversary, depending on the which way the wind's blowing. Sure, um, they're all fairly. They're all fairly clearly defined, and she's just, you know, a, li- a little bit muddy. And not in a good way, muddy, you know? Right. It's it's not a... If she was just a little bit more layered, and I, I sort of understood what was going on, I mean, a lot of it ties into the fact that I, no one really understands what Bajoran politics are and, like, what's going down on Bajor, and, mm-hmm. and the, the scene itself is very confusing. Um, I mentioned how I thought that she was the head of the state, but apparently she isn't, and apparently there's another head of the state. Uh, the... Her real name is actually Chris Bajor. Right. For, her, her dad owns the planet. For how religious the Bajorans are always portrayed as, you run into people like the Shikar resistance group who aren't religious in any sense. And to her, it doesn't seem like there's any sort of religious like importance to listening to her. They tell her basically to fuck off with the reclamators or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel that the the solution to the problem, A, if you get really 
into the universe is just why don't you make more reclamators? I don't know why they only have two or whatever. Yeah, that's it is. well, you know, why did why did Thanos not just uh, double the size of the universe or whatever? Right, it, uh, and or just like I don't know it, it, when the the solution is a technological thing, it it doesn't really stick well. Like if they're right. bickering about land or something, it's one thing. But if they're just like bickering about like they have the machine and they won't give the machine back, I feel it's just kind of silly. Yeah, and, I I was thinking like. Why don't they just, I mean, obviously this is, you know, stupid things we've talked about before, but I was like, well, they have replicators. Right. Why, why are they even they growing just food? 3D print. Well, no, I was thinking, why don't they just 3D print more machines? Right. How yeah. hard could it be? <laughs> instead of mean... asking, instead of asking Starfleet to help hunt down Kira, why don't they say, hey, Starfleet, build us some more of these machines? <laughs> That's right. See, and, but it's, they never... It's never like the Federation won't do this until you're a member. You know, like, I wish there was more. It doesn't make any sense to me because the Bajorans here seem like they're trying to get into the Federation. I wish I wish it was more the opposite, that they didn't mm-hmm. want to and the Federation was trying to push them into it. Yeah. Because that would that would give them a realm where the Federation can't give them things because it is improper to sort of be bribing them with stuff. Yeah. Uh, but here it seems like they want to do it and they're all suffering. So why doesn't the Federation give them some stuff or just let them into the Federation? It seems like it's right. kind of an odd thing. Right. But I like, so the, so the, the wishy-washiness of the, the farming comes back to why, why does Wynn want to take the reclamators back in Europe? Like what, what is, what is she trying to do here with this? Why isn't she just happy to have any farmland being made? Why does she want a specific farmland to be made. Um, I thought that it was uh, um, basically like a fulfilling a campaign promise kind of thing. Okay. And um, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe I didn't read it correctly. Um, do you think it's more of a personal thing against Shakar, which is also, you know, completely plausible? It might be possible. What I thought, what I thought it was, was that, Apparently using it in this other area will give you more stuff that you can sell, I guess, was the like the thing where yeah. know, she's like, if you use it in this growth rich area, we can start selling stuff and we can become a part of the universe and everything. And at I that kind point, of, uh, sorry, I was just gonna say, I kind of felt it was almost like, uh, um, like a, a globalism versus isolationism kind of thing sure. where, yeah, yeah. uh, Shakar was more concerned about, uh, the, health of the Bajoran people and, you know, the land that specifically benefits uh, the Bajorans uh, more so than he was uh, expanding outwards, even though the argument, I think the argument is, you know, like in the globalism argument, there's merits to both sides of it where it's like, well, yeah, but expanding outwards will help you in different ways. But yes, there is a pressing need to do X at home first or as well. Um, which I think is an interesting topic for them to cover, but, uh, it doesn't really end up doing that. No, I, I mean, I feel Shikar has kind of a weak position because they're all Bajorans and if they can use these things in a place that gives them more food, isn't he just being selfish by not giving them back so that they can do that? Or, you know, give them one. I don't know. Right. (laughs) (laughs) How many do you need? But I mean, the silliness of the conflict leading to civil war yeah. basically seems silly. Like it's almost like this should have been a two-parter except it would have been a terrible two-parter because there's not enough Boy. yet. Boy. There's not enough stuff yet. There's also not enough time to sell any of the stuff that's going on. And 
I don't know. It, it's just like I, I feel that the the stakes there are kind of silly. It's just like why don't you give the machines to the place that makes a lot of food? Everyone will be happy. You'll all be fed, and then when that's done, you can have them back and you can grow your own food. At that point, yeah, I think it was also uh, where before the peace treaty was signed, were Win and Shakar more or less on the same side, or have they always been traditionally like adversaries? No, I think they're on the same side. I don't know what Wynne's role in the resistance was, but she seems to have been, it was favorable enough to the resistance where she's winning elections by the people. Okay. Well, I was just thinking, I mean, there is also that aspect of like, you know, you've got these two, two groups who were involved in the same, who were historically involved in the same effort. And now one of them, they're now going in different directions and, and, you know, uh, one of them is thinking much larger scale now, and the other one is is kind of thinking a lot a lot smaller scale. Uh, oh, I see. It kind of it mirrors kind of... Kira's growth from where she was a resistant fighter, but then early episodes had Kira focusing on like now she's sort of a bureaucrat administrator. And yeah, her role it's kind of like uh, you've seen L.A. Confidential, right? Yep. Spoilers for L.A. Confidential. It's kind of like the end of L.A. Confidential, where you've got Guy Pierce uh, accepting all of these uh, bureaucratic. Um, advancements in his career, and uh, Russell Crowe is is kind of going the other way. Even though these guys were both fighting for the same thing, they end up taking opposite directions, which very could very easily could put them at odds la- right. later down the road. Yeah. Do, do do. I mean, I, I think the episode the episode does hint. Are we going to get to bit. talk about L.A. Confidential on Real Ripe and Real Rotten or something? Because that's a great movie. Well, it must be that director's best movie, right? Whatever, whoever that yeah. director is. Well, I, you know, we could we could probably do like a well, no, I guess probably not Kevin Spacey now, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Guy Pierce would certainly. Yeah, Guy Pierce. Yeah, yeah, that might be interesting. Um, yeah. we'll 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 find a way to squeeze it in. <laughs> that's what the whole point of the B roll is. Um. What do you do? You think that like the, I, I think the episode does touch a little bit on um. Rebels having a hard time giving up the fight. I think the problem with the episode is that there's like five different plot lines and it doesn't really focus on any of them, so they all kind of get short shrifted. Yeah. But there, there's a little bit of a hint of like the, you know, when they're running through the mountains, they're like, "Damn, it feels good to be a rebel," and then they run up the hill and they're like, "Damn, I'm too old to be a rebel at this point. It's too hard running up these hills." Right. It's it's a little bit of it's hard to give up the fights and these Bajoran resistance people only know how to fight for what they want instead of uh, negotiating. That doesn't really come through in the resolution or anything, but it's there, I guess. Do you think that it would have been improved, um, or maybe this was the intent and it's just not clear enough? Um. To present the story as though what Wynn is doing is just sort of a a cover for trying to get rid of Shakar, like basically like this guy and his people are now, you know, I, I now see them as direct adversaries to my uh, 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 political career. So yeah. if um, I can get rid of them, then that takes that possible threat off the board and then you end up in sort of like a you know uh um butch cassidy and the sundance kid kind of thing where it's just like the last couple guys the last couple outlaws in the west are being are being hunt, pushed to the edge of the pushed to the edge and trying to get rid of them you know that kind yeah, of thing yeah i i would have liked that and it's funny because the setting on bejor looks like a western ranch right like, right it, it looks like it was supposed to be a west especially when the uh the 
like the sheriff's deputies come in to arrest him and he punches them out and steals and that's when they run off on their own little yeah. thing but yeah. I, I would agree with you I think that would have been a better way to go it would have get, given Wynn some clarity to her motivations all you need is you need one early scene where she's talking to an advisor about what she's really up to because the way the episode actually comes out she seems completely side like uh, blown out of the water by the fact that Shakar can run against her at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to come as a complete surprise. And if they, if she knew about it and was trying to get rid of him, that should have been brought up earlier. Uh, and that would have added that would have added depth to the why is she doing this over something so stupid thing right. that she doesn't exactly. have at this exactly. Point. Yeah. Um, can we talk about the darts? Sure, talk about darts. <laughs> Let's get to the beach. So I'll, I'll throw it to you. You got a lot to say, but I will say that this continues a, a DS9 trend of they're starting to have a lot of side stories that don't are extremely low stakes. Is what mm-hmm. I call them. They're basically they're almost character pieces, except they feel almost too empty to be even considered a character piece. Like there's not even really anything going on about the characters. Um, I don't know what we learn about O'Brien here. It's kind of a fun little throwaway scene that we get to see him play darts and it's got some decent laughs or something but uh what did you think about it the thing that's killing me about the dart thing is that he actually tears his shoulder that's i thought it. that whole thing was a, was a ruse that's like, a, it's a callback he in tng he had a couple episodes where he separated his shoulder because he likes doing that kayaking program and it's like a recurring injury that's that, whatever that's i don't care about that <laughs> i'm saying in the story that they're telling here they very clearly set it up that it's supposed that's a, it's a ruse. Like when uh, Quark comes over and and O'Brien's like, "I'd like to do the kayak thing," and Quark is like, "No, I'm not going to let you do the kayak thing because your shoulder is too valuable to me." And mm-hmm. now you know I've got ten to one odds. Anybody who who bets against you, and he's like, "Well, maybe I, you should do it fifteen to one." That tells me he's going to throw the match. Yeah. That's true. And when he tears his shoulder just by casually reaching backwards and grabbing a cup of coffee, which is ridiculous, <laughs> that was, uh, that tells full. me he's throwing the match. And I, I mean, having Bashir there, I assumed he was in on it. I assumed there was going to be some sort of like coda or something where he had bet on himself or some shit like that, right. or at least uh, some sort of lesson to be told to Quark about. Uh, uh, gambling on people or you know without their you know using people without their permission or something like that but like it was none of that it was just yeah he actually tore his shoulder he got 30 second reconstructive shoulder surgery and now he can go kayaking like i i don't know i i just felt really unsatisfied by that well that's what i mean like the stories that they're doing there don't even have conflict in them it's like there's there's nothing there's nothing driving that story or it doesn't even really thematically tie in with the Akira stuff. It's it's very weird what they're doing. I I like it on some level. Like I like the fact that it's kind of a day in the life scenes mm. that you're seeing on the station and it's not always like balls to the wall, there's a anomaly in space and it's coming to kill us. They've stopped doing that stuff, which was bad. But now they've moved into slice of life stuff that almost feels too low stakes like i need a little bit more stakes in these storylines and your thing about the betting would have made sense or just o'brien being forced you know o'brien being pressured to do it because others were betting on him or something like in him not wanting to do that i I don't know i feel like there's space for a little bit of conflict there but they never insert anything i also thought if he wasn't going to throw the match i thought maybe he was faking the shoulder injury and then again i my my line of thought was He's betting on himself. 
And so he's going to fake the shoulder injury, which is going to cause the betting to go up. And then he's going to, he's basically going to hustle the guy. Essentially. Oh, I see. I see. What you're, um, right. He's, he's going to clean up once that he uh, sort of uh, fakes the guy out with it. Yeah. And then, you know, Bashir would say something like, oh, O'Brien, that's not nice. You shouldn't do that. And then, you know, he'd be like, you're right. And he would give the money back or some shit. Well, it's the, it's the scene in Sick Bay where he scans him and he's like, I don't see any damage to your shoulder or something like that. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. What's funny to me about the end of it is that after he has the surgery and he comes back, he throws one dart and he misses and he's like, I'm done. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's I'm out of the zone. I don't know if the uh, it feels like it's like a the writers had just heard about the phrase in the zone that week and <laughs> wanted to write about it because it's it's so it's such a bizarre. I, I make it sound like it's weird. It's just weird when I sort of intellectualize what that story is. And it's like a, um, you know, I guess the harshest criticism is that the Shikar script. What it came in 10 minutes short and they're like, we need 10 minutes of stuff to fill the time here let's have o'brien play darts mm-hmm. and i don't know it feels too it feels too good for that uh, it doesn't feel like it's just kind of a weird one-off it's just it's just a little bit strange that that's what the show is doing at this point yeah yeah it was it was weird or you know what have the have the vulcan beat him or something i don't know i don't know i just thought overall it was it it was it was entertaining enough to keep my attention but ultimately it didn't matter right like there was no button on it or anything it, it was just it was just there to be light inter- entertainment uh in between uh scenes of people groaning about back aches and dip diplomacy there you know the the reason that they have these games and they've had chess poker and darts to this point the reason that they have the these uh, games on a production standpoint is because they need the cast to be able to do something while they're talking mm. so it adds a little bit of like visual flair to what's going on which is what you're saying but i feel that there is a there is a a thought process that needs to go into the games about how they also serve the narrative and i think right. poker is far and away the best game that they ever came up with to play mm-hmm. because the nature of poker allows you to do things like explore data's storylines and stuff like that. It allows you to play with Worf's characterization as someone who's angry and doesn't really bluff. Mm-hmm. Um, chess was a little bit less interesting. Uh, I got into a funny sort of back and forth with listener Holly on Twitter about uh, the chess thing. Just because I I feel like chess is a bad game to play because they had games, they had scenes where stuff like uh, Troy or... Uh, Kirk beats Spock and Data at chess by acting illogically, which is not how chess works. Like that's that that's not a good game for that kind of story because it just doesn't make any sense that you would beat someone who'd be super good at playing logical chess by by playing illogically. Poker fixes that because the humans can beat the logical people at at the game. That's mm-hmm. the nature. That's how poker works. So, what do you think darts brings anything? Do you think darts is a good game outside of the fact that it's in a bar? Um. I don't know. That's a tough call. Uh, I don't know if... <laughs> I guess it's a more visually interesting game. Uh, and you could have, theoretically, uh, there's more room there to have the shots that are being taken affected by mood or emotion or something like that. Yeah. I, I feel it's it's a, it's a much easier to produce, I'd assume, because it's basically a wide shot, like a medium wide shot where they can get everyone on camera. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to a poker table where they have to shoot around the table. Mm. Yeah, you just have, I mean, I think every shot, every dart shot was the same, more or less, where it was like, uh, 
everybody kind of like huddled in, up camera in left, the background more yeah. Or less. <laughs> right. yeah yeah and then they do a hard cut to just the board um yep. which yeah so it's easy to produce um there's a certain there's a, yeah there's a certain level of aggression and focus you could play with uh you know if you if you wanted to it's it's a That's game true. that can be you can you can use it to illustrate focus or aggression or even or calmness or being in the zone. It, there's there's a lot of opportunities for for darts. I think it's kind and of an easy way to show the most I've ever thought about darts. Well, it's it's probably a, <laughs> that's what this podcast is all about. It's probably a good way. It's a good game to show if someone is just completely off in their head. Yes, too. Um, like a bad miss in darts is like, oh, something's wrong with that. As as we learned about with O'Brien's shoulder, like he misses the board and he's like, ah, my shoulder, it's no good anymore. Well, it's uh, they also, they didn't do the uh, the old standby like from Young Frankenstein where they're taking the shot and then somebody says something at the last second that catches them off guard and they like throw it into the bar or something. Right, yeah. And you hear the cat cat squeal. <laughs> um. We're almost at 30-something minutes. I, I did want to talk a little bit about Kira before we go to final thoughts here. You liked you like Kira. Uh, you I said do. That, starting off that you like Kira on DS9. Uh, how do you feel about Kira in this episode? Does she do um, anything for you? And, and I'm speaking as to like the larger plot where uh, she got out of a relationship in this episode and she seems to have started a new one and she's blown out Bryle's candle. Um, what does so that is mean that, to you? Is that... Is that the implication? Is that she and Shakar are like a thing? He comes back. He comes back. Really? Oh, because yeah. I thought it was like... Did, did you not get that from his hug on the ranch where he's like, it's good to see okay, you? Okay, so I did want to talk about that because <laughs> anytime someone says, you know, something, something, dot, 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 especially me in reference to like another character... Does that ever come off as not creepy? And also, no. is that something that people actually say in real life? No. I feel like that's um, completely a dramatic thing. I'm trying like, to think I, if I've ever like said at no that. Point, <laughs> at no point do I feel like I've ever said to anybody, you know, we're all happy that you're home. Especially me. <laughs> you never said that to your dog? <laughs> well, maybe the dog, but... You know, you know what I mean, though. It's just such a weird kind of thing to say that doesn't feel like something people say in real life. Well, it's certainly inappropriate to say in a group. I think they were alone, so I'll give them that credit. But yeah, I don't think I don't think I've ever, especially. I, I feel like you saying it in the first place kind of implies that you feel it's special. You know, mm-hmm. if if you didn't think it was special, you wouldn't bring it up to anybody. So it is creepy. You know, Wes. We all really appreciate how thoughtful your comments on this podcast are. Sure. Especially me. <laughs> we all appreciate... Ah, oh, fuck. I, I, I sort of confused myself. I, don't, I, I, didn't, I didn't come up with a Tupac Shakur so, uh, hit him up the lyric. So the, the implication is that they're like a thing... Because I thought her blowing out the, the, the candle was just her way of like letting go of the past. Because that was also sort of like what the idea here was. Yeah, in this episode, so I'm. That's surprising. I didn't realize. Well, I'm a little. She really has a thing for like revolutionaries, huh? Yeah, and sort of fatherly figures. Yeah, is the the other thing. Um, man, Odo is gonna be so mad. That that's the main takeaway. I mean, I'm sort of, I'm sort of maybe I'm not reading it properly because I know that he comes back in that Mm -hmm. way, but I get this like uh, otherwise. So do you really think that blowing up Ryle's candle is appropriate just because she learned something wait, on Bejor? Wait a minute. 
she blew out the candle. Oh. He was... <laughs> it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't touch the candle. Uh, that guy should have busted in. Yeah, she, she blows out <laughs> Brile's candle. That guy should have replaced it with his candle from Sub Rosa. Yeah, and he's the, the ghost from that episode. Yeah. Is that is that what happens? Is blowing out the candle let the ghost out or how does that work? I forget. No, blowing out the candle kills the ghost in Sub Rosa, oh, I think. Oh, never mind. Yeah. So Brile unfortunately. Hoping, yeah, I was hoping he would turn out to be a ghost. Brile <laughs> should come back and do uh, ghost kung fu against the other uh, the other ghosts, but do you think that the episode supports the fact that they'd be in a relationship? I don't think it does and I, I don't think the episode actually does enough to really make me feel like Kira gets over Brile in any sense. It, to me, the, the implication is that because she's met Shakar, she's basically met another man and she comes back yeah. and is like, well, I'm breaking up with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't feel like they, it was really uh, strong enough to uh, imply that they were, having, they were in some sort of relationship. I just read the, the candle thing as, as her just kind of like closing, closing that chapter and realizing that she could. Because even, I, I love the, again, uh, uh, as a, uh, Kai Wynn being so condescending. She's like, I'm sorry, are you praying for someone that recently died or this guy that just died? It surely can't be for Burial, who's been dead for like a couple months. There's a lot of shade throwing. We didn't mention it in um, the die is cast thing, but there's a lot of, I'm noticing these funny things. Like you, you just mentioned that about uh, uh, Wynn where she's like, I'm sorry, are you still uh, mourning the loss of your boyfriend kind of a thing but there's a um a scene in the die is cast at the very end after the whole episode remember when the admiral is talking to cisco over the thing he's like i'll either promote you or kill you or whatever he says to cisco mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he has a line where he's like he's like god damn this is even worse than the battle of wolf 359 he's telling that to a guy whose wife died yes. at wolf 359 like that is that is a that is a ballsy move on that admiral's part to really just assume that Cisco's okay hearing about that and they didn't even have like a thing where he was like, "Oh, geez, I'm so sorry, Benjamin. I forgot." Right? Or, yeah. But they that, do that, have the cut. They do have the turnaround cut to Cisco, and he's like, "Yes," <laughs> like very dryly. He's like, "Yes, it is worse than that." <laughs> Nothing is worse than Wolf Three Five Nine, Admiral Todman. Um, I, I feel that uh, we'll be talking about it more. I just I'm a little bit disappointed. The Kira storyline has moved away from her being a revolutionary on the station to a who's my next boyfriend. Yeah. character yeah which is sad and um i don't i'm oh, sorry continue well i i don't really have anything else like it's it feels like the the first season was actually a very good arc for kira because kira came in hot under the collar and then at by the end of the first season she's kind of like accepted her place which is a nice growth for that character it seems like they don't really know where to go with her after this so they're sticking her with boyfriends and it feels very similar to what they did with troy to throughout mm. her entire run. It's like she's defined by the man that she's in love with. Right, right. And she's being backseated to guys who are just not interesting. Like, Burial was a wet blanket, and Shakar is... There's nothing special about Shakar. Like, Bill Rawls blows him out of the water in every single scene that they have at this at the end. Like, and that's my other point, is that it's funny when you can see an actor who's really good, and uh, John Doman, who plays... Uh, the Bajoran guy, the, the Bajoran commander or whatever at the end, who's mm-hmm. uh, in The Wire is fantastic in his acting and it's just it shows up shikara really pronouncedly but the the point is just that kira's with these sort of cardboard cutouts of men and it does nothing for her character and it's not interesting on a narrative level yeah i think it kind of takes away from her character to be honest with you like i think it um i because i don't the more i see of her interacting with like 
stuff on Bajor, the less I like her. And that's, I shouldn't say the less I like her because I still like her, but I don't like that stuff. Because you're right. The interesting part of her was that she was this Bajoran rebel put in this new situation on Deep Space Nine. Like when you've got the episodes like, I uh, can't remember the name of it, but the one where um, they, uh, uh, they come to her and, and are like, hey, we found this planet, I think, uh, or that we could go to and it's perfect for us and it could revitalize our, our people. And she's like, no, I can't really support you on that. And it's, right. a, it's a big decision for her. Yep. That stuff I find interesting. What I don't find interesting is, yeah, every time she goes home, she meets a new guy who's got like his shirt unbuttoned a little bit and is talking like he's a, a you know, in a, a guy on on a college campus in the '60s, and she's right. like gets the vapors, you know. <laughs> Take some grass, man. Um, I, I agree. If I, anything, I think- if anything, I would appreciate it if she was the opposite of that, and she was like, you know. I still obviously care about my planet and my people, and I still, you know, have these deep-seated uh, feelings towards Cardassia and, you know, uh, the uh, the government running everything, blah, 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 blah. But I have now realized that we need to, to handle this stuff in a more adult manner. Not that war right. isn't adult, but you know, what, you know what I mean. Like, it's, yep. it, like, I wish she would interact with these people and, and see why she has moved past this stuff. Right, that, that's why her arc here doesn't make a lot of sense because I feel like you're saying that she should be the adult in the room and yeah. Shakar should be the one like, we're going to fucking fight for what we want and she should just be like, listen, this is insane. Like These are like soil tillers that you guys are fighting over. Um, she doesn't. She jumps right with him and she's like, I chose my path and I'm going with you, Shakar. And then they run up the mountain. It doesn't, that doesn't feel right to me. That's not where this character is at this point in the series. Yeah. The fact that she's like at the drop of a hat She's punching out police officers and being like, we need to run into the mountains and possibly kill people. It's like, uh, I don't know. It just doesn't, I don't kill know. It, it doesn't feel right. Kill other Bajorans yeah, who yeah, did the same the thing, thing that I you mean, were doing. They do end up getting to that point where she has to pull the trigger or not, and she chooses not to. But you would think that that would be her position for the whole thing is like we she we shouldn't just, get to that point yeah, yeah yeah we just got our independence or got our peace treaty signed with cardassia we can't just now start tearing each other apart um but no i guess it's easier to follow the guy with the wavy hair and the big ear. <laughs> does he have a motorcycle i bet he has a motorcycle he probably does that's a big ranch he's got to get around it somehow uh, is there easily. is there a scene in a future episode where she like Shows up back on the on the, on the space station, and she's like, "Ben, I want you to meet my new boyfriend." He's like, takes off his motorcycle helmet and like shakes out his hair. And he's like, "Come on, babe, we gotta go." And Ben's like, "I don't his, like that man." His catchphrase is, "We're shacking up" because of a uh, shakar. Is, is that good? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, I think that's it. Uh, we're done. We did a pretty good job talking about this one. Oh, we're gonna take a break. I'll play an audio clip. We're gonna come back, and we're gonna our final thoughts about shakar. Now, I believe you were saying something about wanting to walk out of here. That's right. You know that's impossible. Well, we better find a way to make it possible. Because the next time someone starts shooting, we won't be able to stop it. And I'm not talking about today, I'm talking about tomorrow, and the next day, and the next, I am talking about the beginning of a civil war. I didn't fight the Cardassians for 25 years just so I could start shooting other Bajorans. Neither did I. So, what do we do about it? 
All right. So, final thoughts this time. Uh, we'll do Patreon thoughts, actually, first. If you guys support the show on patreon.com slash file, you have to leave thoughts about cu- upcoming episodes, and we read them and react to them on the podcast. Andrew Kerlog says, Shakar, the Lee Nollis and Vedic Varile replacement man episode. Amazing that that if this guy is so well-known, they would just now think to bring him back into the fold of leadership. Actor is weak, and the character fails to develop. That being said, the continued descent of Kai Wen is a powerful testament to the proverb, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts corrupts absolutely this episode points to the fact that win will cause form far more harm harm than good as the show continues to develop excuse my reading disabilities um yes actors weak character doesn't develop i still th- i just don't like win i like in a series that actually has pretty good villains and characters who aren't villainous but have sort of like facets of a personality that could go either way i think win is just a win feels like a tng villain to me mm in some ways like and i think tng would have done a better job of making her just be that kind of like a blanket bad obviously bad person uh when doesn't feel effective to me in ds9 it's just part of the bajoran problem in general yeah you know actually what bothers me about her it's a, it's a stupid detail she constantly says my child mm-hmm. and refers to people as child and i feel like that's why it feels so condescending yeah, uh, it's just really weird, and that that uh, that stuff always feels really forced when you when they work in those sorts of affectations. Yeah, um, like once well, or twice the, maybe, but she says it all the time. I feel the character is supposed to be, uh, not faithful to what she's saying there. Like it's yeah. it's how she refers to Cisco as emissary when he's around. It's like right. it's not. It's kind of fake um, respect. I guess would be the way to describe it. She's kind of, I I feel she's trying to worm herself in, but she's not good at it. It's just, it's weird to me how bad she is at being a villain. Uh, And this series does pretty well. Every time she said emissary, she visibly rolled her eyes. Right, exactly. Or had her fingers crossed behind her back and the camera would pan down to her. Well, she wears that big cloak. Maybe she's doing like the jerk off motion (laughs) with her hand when she says it underneath it. Stephen Cobb says, Shikari, good episode. Wynn's actions are in line with what we know of her, but not enough time was spent explaining why she went all authoritarian on Shikar. I believe she's capable of it, but the episode does not tell me why. I I largely agree with that. Um, I felt the way that Kira and her friends went into terrorist mode made sense given it is literally all they know. And reflecting on it, having another Bajoran in the gun sights feels like a logical thing to shake her out of it. Uh, like every time they're referred to the... Oh, to shake her and Shikar out of terrorist mode. Maybe some more time could have been spent when they were angsty about it, like every other time they referred to the militia, uh, i.e. the boy seems weird to say, boy seems weird to say militia instead of Cardassians, but we have to protect our home. Oh, etc. Right. So they have to, they're talking about how hard it is to protect the militia instead of Cardassians. That would have helped offset their apparent indifference to having Bajorans as their enemy instead of Cardassians. Um, I think we talked about that, Clay. We sort of disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, just the... I don't think the episode does enough to justify them being stuck in terrorist mode, especially Kira. I could understand Shikar and everyone else. Although, we didn't say, I didn't say that. Shikar seems the least uh, willing to do what they're doing throughout the episode. Like, he's kind of like, ugh, time to move on. He, he seems like he wants to abandon it even more than Kira, and I don't know if he should have been more hardline about things. Yeah, I don't know. Um... <clears throat> I think he's, I think it's interesting because he, uh, doesn't, he, yeah, he's, he seems like he wants to move on, but again, it's like he is so quick to switch back, um, 
I don't know. I don't really. It, it's it it kind of it kind of amplifies how I wish it was a little bit more like uh, you know tra- uh, trading on the um, these are the last of the rebels kind of thing. Yeah. Where, you know, he's 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 trying to get just when he thought he was out, they pulled me back in. You know that kind of shit. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, or even if he. Even starting them as a farmer, maybe it makes narrative sense, but you could kind of see the storyline being like there's this last holdout of rebels who are still fighting and the government's trying to sort of weed them out because they want the peace to come out of it and you have to, has to go to the caves where they're all hiding and stuff like that. Uh, they didn't go that route. They sort of had him become a farmer and then he abandons that, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it like sense. a really less violent version of the outlaw Josie Wales. Yes. Which I, I no, this is, Completely off topic. Maybe this will be the non sequitur for the week. I just learned that uh, I, I really enjoy that movie, um, but I just learned that it was the book that it was based on was uh, the author's name, which I forget, was a pen name for the guy who actually wrote a, Lord, a lot of George Wallace's speeches in the 60s, mm-hmm. like his very racist speeches. Sure. And uh, knowing that... Um, really puts that li- movie into a different light. You know, the movie about the Southern uh, Confederate soldier who just keeps killing Northerners after the war is over. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> it makes it less literary and more just angry, I suppose. Would be the way yeah, and just a hair more. I mean, luckily there's no overt racism uh, yep. in that movie that I can remember anyway. Um, but they do present the... Union soldiers as being pretty unforgivable and the Confederate soldiers as being, you know, you know, uh, basically, uh, what's the word? Um, flawless, more or less. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Spinobi says, Shikar, first time writing for these. You'd think I'd make my stunning debut with Improbable Cause or the Dice Cast or maybe the season four premiere. You know what? If you're not going to have confidence, we're not even going to read it. Skip it to the next <laughs> <laughs> next uh oh well i'm taking a page out of ryan johnson's book and subverting expectations anyway this, this is a solid cure episode as most of our standalone episodes tend to be shikar is not the barile we need but he's the one we deserved shikar's entire group is headed by a much better set of likable actors and the way they warmly invite kira and share her friendly banter makes it very believable that kira has a long history with them screw kai win Glad to see her lose at her petty schemes that nearly caused a Bajoran civil war to ensue. Also, if literally all of this war was over some farming supplies, couldn't the Federation just replicate some and this whole issue would be over? Yep. Or, as Cisco, or as Cisco said, would that be messing with internal Bajoran affairs? Regardless, can't wait to see more of Shakar in the episodes to come, especially when a certain changeling isn't concerned. Um, I don't even know if need the Federation to do it. They can just make their own. The Bajoran should just make more soil reclamators. I think they made them in the first place. They can make more. Yeah, you know, yeah, I think they... You- there's no, they don't put any parameters on the technology or anything. It's like, oh, we right. only have two, and the, we've lost the directions. Yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> needs a new uh, Johnson rod in these things. Yeah. These get worn out. I, so you quickly. know, I wish some of these things would they would put parameters on them, so you we wouldn't end up having these questions about the replicator if it was like, well, you know, the replicator works to a certain extent, and if you try to do too much, they overload and they don't come out right. You know, something like that. Something easy. It's it's all. I I just I'll keep coming back to it. I've mentioned it already, but. If the Bajoran religion was, uh, why can't it, not the Quakers, who are the guys that live in Pennsylvania? Amish. The Amish. If they were, if they were like Luddites, they were anti-technology. Mm-hmm. All of the Federation's hands being tied in, the Bajorans having difficulty rebounding would make more sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're not. They never say that. They like technology. They use it all the time. Um, 
That, 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 that would be the way I'd fix the Bajoran religion. I'd have them be Amish-like, and they are just hesitant to. And that's why they're hesitant to join the Federation, because they don't want to do that. Right. Uh, well, in the, new, in the new third timeline they're creating with this new Captain Picard show, maybe they'll address that. Exactly. Joey Mango says, Shikar, shit, it's William Rawls. It absolutely is. Matthew Ross says, Shikar feels very similar to Homecoming the Circle, stories with an honored war hero challenging the status quo and who's the pain in the center. Why, of course, it's Louise Fletcher's win and her purple hat of making Bajor great again. Or is it as, or is it that the writer said, oh yeah, there's a planet Bajor nearby, what's happening there now? I found it humorous that they used an off-color pale lens on everything on Bajor to show how crappy it was. The idea that they're concerned about shooting their own seems a bit realistic. And it wasn't the, and wasn't what the rebels were doing actually a coup. Yes. I enjoyed it even though it did feel like the writers were trying to fill a space. Cisco's statement on non-interference was well done and showed his obvious disgust with Wynn. I still like that we hate Fletcher Wynn and though uh, Visitor Kira's story was also carried out well. Kira's story was also carried out well. Sorry, you confused me by referring to both the actor and the character in the same thing. <laughs> and it doesn't Shikar look a little bit like Kirk Douglas. He does look like Kirk Douglas. Must be the chin. Luckily, this does count as a mini O'Brien Must Suffer episode to remind us that the station is there. Uh, and then Kyle Barris says, Shikar, above all else, the episode feels like an amalgam of many of the past Bajoran-focused episodes. You've got Kira visiting a farmer who's jeopardizing a project aimed at helping all of Bajor for his own stake uh, from progress, the war hero who's formed into a leadership position from the opening arc of Season 2, and a replacement for Baral, this time with a stronger chin. Overall, the episode is completely and totally fine. It's nice to finally have an episode shot on location again, but can't they just replicate more reclamators? Also, is the crew members seemingly... Also, the crew members seemingly don't know how to play darts because in pretty much every shot they're going for the bullseye, and that's not how you play darts. So what is the bullseye for? Like, what is it? Is there... Is it like a wild card in card games? or what, What's the point? No, it's 50... Uh, I mean, I assume there's different dart games. I'm, I'm familiar with the bullseye being 50 points and then the outer ring of the bullseye being 25 and so the triple 20 is worth 60 and that's the one that you should always be going for oh yeah i'm terrible at darts at least at least in whatever that famous dart game is the (laughs) one where they count backwards and the announcer always goes 180 if you watch it on espn (laughs) um that's what they're going for is the triple 20 all the time because it's uh 60 points obviously so do you think that it could be said that shakar in this episode is part of a digital underground I think that could be said. Yeah, okay. That's I think about so. as far as my Tupac jokes will go. <laughs> Ain't nothing but a gangster party, party. And he's All right. after nothing but trouble in this episode. <laughs> what was that movie you did with Jet Li? Am I, am I, do you remember that movie? Did you oh, do with Jet no, Li? that wasn't Tupac. That was, I think that was DMX. Oh, it's DMX. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. That w- uh, shit. Was it Romeo Must Die? Was, that, was it that one? Was it Romeo? Hold on. I got to look this up. Tupac. And Jet, is it Jet Li? I think it's Jet Li, right? Yeah, I think it's DMX, not Jet Li. DMX, I'm sorry, I'm confusing. I keep saying incredibly, cradle to the grave. That's what it was, yeah. Cradle to the grave. Romeo Must Die was another Jet Li and I think possibly rapper movie. (laughs) That's it. All right, so Clay, what are you going to give this one, Shakar? Um, I'll give it a three, I guess. It's, you know, middle of the road. Uh... Maybe a high two. I don't know. I'm 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 kind of torn because it didn't. I didn't think it was terrible. I didn't think it was particularly bad. Um, they did. We did actually didn't cover the one thing that I thought was a really good line was that scene. I think my favorite scene was probably the scene with Odo and Kira. 
Um, yeah, that was a good scene. Their opening Odo, scene. Yeah, Odo has that line. Uh, the price of freedom of choice is sometimes they make the wrong choice. It's the best line. Best line in the. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. It's the best line in the script, and it should the episode should have been about that. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's what got, I was into it at that point, and thinking like, oh, this will be interesting, and then it just you know, kind of did not, and really capitalize on that. I mean, that, and maybe that's just because of the modern political era that we live in, but that yeah, feels like a very in, that's a very interesting idea for the show to want to consider that they because they can't interfere in Bejor, they can't prevent a bad person from becoming elected right basically yeah yeah i thought it was i thought it was going to be more about um you know the the the, the dangers of a highly uh theological person being put in the in the position of of political power like that but they didn't right. really get into it no um, <laughs> <laughs> and it came so early, so it gave you the entire episode to think about it. And you're like, oh boy, this will be exciting when it happens, and yeah. it never does. But yeah, I would say, I don't know, I, these are getting hard for me to rate, you know, as we said are. before. I, I, I flip-flopped on this one. I'm going to give this one a high two. I think yeah. just because of I how I, would, I define... I'll do the same. Uh, it's, it's got enough problems with the, like, I don't really understand why the story is progressing the way that it is, uh, that it, it knocks it down to a two for me, I think. Although... It's not far from being a three. It's it's kind of that middling. It's it's in that middling ground. It's just not particularly tidy. Yeah, I, I would. If anybody's listening to all of these Star Trek episodes back to back to back to back, like just binging all the series we've done to this point, some people and, do. They I hear about them when they're like, "Hey, I just started your thing," and then I hear about them like a month later, and they're like, "I just finished all yeah. the podcasts." Yeah. If if it seems like my ratings have just like really plateaued and everything is like a three. That's just, I think, due to the the amount of volume that I've taken in, which is nothing compared to the amount of volume that you've taken in. But like my my base level is usually just like, yeah, it was fine. And you have to really kind of go at this point anyway, like a big swing in either direction for me to be like that was a one or that was a five. Right. So I'm t- I I apologize if it seems like I'm just kind of middle of the road in a lot of these. Do, but to be do fair, the twos and the fours the not road. even fit into your. Uh, perception of things or do you really just see things as like a five three and a one or do you no do no you... no it's just like at this point i feel like it's 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 becoming more difficult for me to distinguish two through four let's put it that way sure um like i feel I base like a lot of it on the previous episode and how i felt yeah. about the previous one and i'm like i felt a little bit better about this one that makes it a three well That's if kind i of could remember that far back then i would i would work <laughs> that into my equation but just compare it to a TNG episode that you like uh, fondly remember and just like, this is worse than that. So I'm going to give it a two. Um, but no, this is a, I, th- I feel this series is much harder to rate. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about that. It's, just, it's, it's, a it's harder one to. Because nobody's dead grandmother came back from the dead possessed by a candle ghost. You think that guy was just chasing around the producers saying, do you know who I am? I'm Ronan <laughs> from Sephiroth. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. Guys, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can go to all the social media links, which will be in the video descriptions, or you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. A couple of dollars a month, you get extra podcasts. You can go to Discord. It's where we chat about the episodes. You can go to the Discord link, which is below. Um, and other than that, I don't think... Uh, Clay, did you have anything you wanted to say before as I pull up the uh, the patron list? Uh, I don't think so. We got a Batman podcast coming out pretty soon called the Bat-Ass Podcast. We talk about the Batman the Animated Series show. That's me and Sean Murphy be doing that. And uh, 
Should be soon. Working on getting through editing the episodes. Uh, you can follow us at Badass Podcast on Twitter. That's at B A T T A S S Podcast. Um, we have, we have Real Ripe and Real Rotten as yep. the other show, which will be back. We'll do Man on Fire this week, yeah, I think, hopefully. I'm, I'm and then, so excited. Man, it nope. was great. Then we've got Edgar, Edgar Wright after that to cool down Clay so he can go back to. Eh, it was a three. Um, yeah, not too excited about that one. But <laughs> so. That's going to be interesting because, like, with the B, the the B reel for Edgar Wright is going to just be one of his better movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it will be. I, I, he doesn't have that many. He's probably maybe six or something like that. Uh, yeah, but... he's got the three with Simon Pegg, and then he's got uh, the two that we're doing. I think, I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. So we'll, maybe we'll just I'll... have to. I've... I was gonna say maybe I'll maybe I'll swerve it and be like the B reel is the two minute fake trailer he did for Grindhouse. Yes, which, which is, is very listed good. on his thing, which was confusing me because I didn't understand. I didn't remember it. Um, let's see. So, as always, yeah, check out Real Ripe and Real Rotten. Check out the badass stuff. Check out... I think that's pretty much it. Anyway, uh, thank you very much to Patreon supporters who are at the Captain tier. They get a little shout-out at the end of the episode. Stephen Cobb, Matt Flores, Samuel Custer, Santos Gonzalez, Robert Cummins, Andrew Carelog, Matthew Cutler, Spinobi, Russ Graham, Eric Johnson, Nathan Elliott, Decker Sebastiani, Neil Brennan, Carrier Mobility, Michael Pond, Bradley Killens, Rune Vendler, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, Tark Latif. Guys, thank you very much. You make it possible. It's the only reason that we do DS9, as I say constantly, is because the Patreon exists. Um, I think that's it, Clay. Uh, we have Facets is the next episode. Uh, which is it'll be in a couple days. Interesting. But outside of that, we're two away. We have two episodes left in season three of DS9, um, and that's it. I don't know if I I don't have really any non sequiturs that I wrote down. Uh, do you have anything you wanted to get off your chest before we call it a day? Uh, no, but I will give myself another shameless plug and say that uh, uh, I'm actually doing an art sale through my art rep currently, uh, which is probably too difficult to tell you where that's happening. So if you just follow me on Twitter, it was at Dead Meat Comic. Uh, you can see the link for that. If you're looking for some original comic book art to hang on your wall or throw in the trash, I don't care what you do with it. Do you have any drawings of Shikar? Uh, no, but I am take I am open to commissions. So if you really want a drawing of Shikar, I can make that happen. <laughs> From uh, iHeartKira at gmail.com comes a request for Shikar. Uh, that's it, guys. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back in a couple days. See ya. It's how we do it on our side. Any of you niggas from New York that want to bring it, bring it.